Well, you know, sometimes people have a view of God, and uh, because we understand him in a limited way, we, we, we can be imbalanced on it. You know, for example, sometimes people can have this view of God that he's very judgmental, and he, he's just looking to wipe you out the first time you commit a sin. And it's, you know, you kind of walk in that, that fear. And, and it could be, you know, something you grew up with. You know, who knows where all that, that idea comes from. But sometimes we get this picture of God just looking to find fault, looking to pick us apart for some reason. And then on the other end of the scale, you can have some people who see God as only loving and forgiving, full of grace and full of mercy. But the fact of the matter is he's both. He's, he's the balance, perfect balance of all those. And so I want to share with you this morning some things about that that I, I hope will help you know him more, know him better. And so Psalm 116 verse 5 says, Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. So three different ways this scripture describes God. One is he's gracious, one is he's righteous, and one is he's merciful. Which of those words up there do you think uh, maybe fits more into the idea that God is looking to find fault with me? The righteous one. Yeah, God is righteous. He's perfect. He's holy. Everything he does is right. So if I do something wrong, God's going to get me. So God is righteous, and so that kind of has that leaning. Which one of those words, or maybe a couple of those words, that might lean toward the forgiveness side or the grace side of God? Right. You guys got an A. (laughs) But what if God was only one of those? What would it be like if God was just one of those? Instead of all of them. These are, you know, you could, look, you could look at these as almost like competing attributes, but they're, they're not really, they're more complementary than they are competing. But again, like I say, we sometimes think of God on one end of the spectrum or the other rather than having this um, more biblically balanced view of what he's like. Think of a judge down here in, the, in our city who's, you know, down there to deal with crime. What if a person came to your house and burnt your house down and they committed this crime and they end up in the courtroom and the judge says, hey, I'm a merciful judge, no problem. Go on your way. Nothing to deal with here. I'm gracious and merciful. I want to be known as the gracious and merciful one. How many of you would love that judge? See, because what's missing there is righteousness. Justice is missing from that equation. And again, sometimes that's a view of God. But then, what would you think if you were walking down the street and you, I don't know, dropped a little piece of gum wrapper on the ground and the police grabbed you, threw you before the court, and he threw you into jail for 10 years? Who would like that? Nobody here. Okay, so that would be the idea that God is just. And our city says, no littering. You just littered. You're going to jail for 10 years. And so we have these two extremes that we we sometimes have in our mind. But God is not either of those. 
He is those things to perfection, but he's very balanced. And I thank the Lord that he's all the above, gracious, righteous, and merciful. I want to start by talking about the righteous side of God, that he's righteous. Psalm 7 verse 11 says God is a righteous judge. You see that this idea of God being righteous is tied to his judgment. It's tied to his perfection. It's tied to holiness. It's tied to doing things right. And God is called a righteous judge. And it says he is a God who feels indignation every day. You ever think of God that way? Every day, God feels indignation. That's a strong word. Why do you think God feels indignation every day? Can anybody guess why he might feel indignation every day? It's because of sin. He hates sin. He's holy. He's pure. He's perfect. And whenever sin is committed... Judgment must come. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. And so every day, think about this, there's 8 billion people on this planet. I would guess that there's at least 5 or 6 or 7, maybe close to 8 billion sins committed every day. And God who's perfect and holy and righteous stands in judgment over these things. I mean, we might see something like Oh, I told a little white lie. You know, a little white lie is something the Lord hates as much as he does a murder. You know, we, we put degrees on the sins that are out there. We say, oh, that's, that's a minor sin. But maybe minor to you, but it's not minor to him. And so this is the righteous side of God. He is a righteous judge, and he feels indignation every day. And then in Psalm 51, verse 4, this is David after he had committed adultery with a woman named Bathsheba and then covered up the sin. You know, he, he also had one of her, her husband actually murdered to try to cover it up. I mean, David was involved in this web of, of sin and deception. And then eventually a prophet came and uh, confronted him about the sin of his life. And when the sin was revealed, David said this. He came and wrote Psalm 51, which to me is one of the most beautiful psalms in the whole Bible. It talks about a man's heart toward the Lord when he recognizes that he sinned. It, you know, it, it understands that God is a righteous judge and that God has indignation every day. And so there's this response that comes out of his heart. He says, I have sinned against you. Only against you. I tell you, when you read that, and if you know the back story, you might say, well, he didn't sin only against God. He sinned against Bathsheba. He sinned against Uriah. He sinned against the captain of the army. He sinned against all those people that were helping to cover this up. But in reality, the sin was against the Lord. Yeah, there's collateral damage always. Other people get hurt because of the sin. But the sin is against the Lord. And David recognized that. He says, I have sinned against you and only against you. And I've done what you consider evil. See, he, he was starting to understand this heart of God. That he has indignation every day. 
He said, I have done what you consider evil. And then look what he says. So you are right in judging me. See, we don't, we don't, we don't want God to judge us. But at some point in our life, it's so important to come to this place that we can honestly say, you are right in judging me. There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, it's true. God is a righteous judge, and he is right in judging us. Sometimes we say things like, how can God, if he's so good, cast people into hell? We have to be able to move away from that idea and say, he is right in judging us. This is what the righteousness of God is about. He is right in judging me. And then he says, you are justified in condemning me. And to me, this is really the foundation of true repentance, is that you realize I've sinned against God, and he's right in judging me. I don't really have a leg to stand on here. He is right in judging me. Well, that's the righteousness of God. God is righteous. But I'm so glad that in Psalm 116, he didn't say, only the Lord is righteous. He said the Lord is gracious and righteous and merciful. Thank God for that. Because none of us would be around if it weren't for that. But we can't, for the sake of his grace and mercy, forget that he's righteous. And forget that he's fully justified in judging us or condemning us. So look at Romans chapter 2. This is a beautiful word in the Hebrew language, the word gracious. When God is gracious, it means to bend or stoop in kindness to an inferior. You know, it's kind of like, I think of it maybe like an adult like you or I bending down to talk to a little child that's two or three or four years old. You know, you're far greater, stronger, more powerful, but you, you stoop down to care for them in a certain way. That's what the word gracious means, that he who is the greatest stoops down and ministers to us. Isn't that awesome? He shows kindness to an inferior. It is this, it is this attribute, this gracious part of God, that really opens the door for mercy, for forgiveness. For salvation. It's because he's gracious. Yeah, he's angry every day. But he's gracious. Somehow, he's able, to, he's able to walk in, or he's able to exist, I guess, in this world that's full of evil. When you or I would probably have stamped us out long ago. And somehow, in the midst of all that, have gracious, a gracious heart. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, it's hard, to, it's hard to reconcile those two things, but that's God. To be able to see all the evil of the, wick, the wickedness of this world and yet still stoop down to, to minister to us, care for us, to be kind toward us. And so Romans 2 says this, Do you presume on the riches of his kindness? You know, don't take advantage of God's kindness. That's what he's saying here. 
Do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance? You know what? Forbearance just means long-suffering. You know, some of you were saved when you were a young child. Some of you didn't get saved till you were 10 or 20 or 30 or 40 years old. But you know, every day of your life, he put up with you. Every day. Forbearance and long-suffering. It was... God, who is a judge, who is righteous in judging you and condemning you, showed kindness and forbearance. And he extends it today to 8 billion people on this planet. It's God. He says, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. See, that's, that's what you've got to remember. God's kindness isn't to overlook the evil. The kindness is there to lead us to a place where we repent, like Psalm 51, where we can say, Lord, against you only have I sinned. His kindness is meant to draw us to that place where we can, just like David, say, Lord, I've done something that's evil in your sight, and you're right in judging me, but I'm turning my heart. I want to come to you. I want you to forgive me. I'm asking for forgiveness. And God's kindness and his grace toward us is, is meant to draw us to repentance. Repentance is a change of heart, change of mind. It's the turning of our life. It's, it's turning from a life of sin to a life of wanting to live in a way that's pleasing to the Lord. So don't, don't presume upon the kindness of God. It, it's not ever meant to overlook our sin or to brush it under the carpet. It is always meant to lead us to repentance. His kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. And then he's talking about people here who aren't responding to that. He says, but you, because of your hard and impenitent heart, are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath, when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render to each one according to his work. So, The Bible says because judgment against an evil work is not executed speedily, the hearts of the sons of men are fully set to do evil. You ever read that before? It's kind of like, hey, I just uh, robbed those five guys. I guess I can rob five more. I don't see any judgment. Nothing's happening to me. Well, what's happening is God is having forbearance towards you. His desire is not that any man should perish, but that all would come to repentance. And so yeah, he's extending grace, and he's extending kindness, and he's extending this toward you so that you will eventually come and say, Lord, I repent. But if you don't, what does it say is happening? You just keep storing up wrath. I stole from five people. Now I'm stealing from five more. There's some more wrath. I lied to these ten people. There's some more wrath. I, did the, you know, I murdered this five people. Here's some more wrath. Say, man, God's not judging me. What's happening here? I must be able to get away with anything. No, what you're doing is you're storing up wrath against the day of wrath because he's still righteous. Even though he's forbearing, and even though he's kind, and even though he's gracious, he's still righteous. And the person who doesn't repent is simply storing it up for a day. A day when his... Uh, righteous judgment, as calls it here, the righteous judgment 
will be revealed. Man, I think that's something we should all keep in our mind. When you feel like, how come the world is so terrible? Why are people getting away with so many terrible things? It is the gracious heart of God. It's the graciousness of God. That's why. If God, if God was lightning quick to bring judgment to sin, none of us would be here. He's extended grace to, until we can come to repent and somehow escape that judgment that's, that's there. It's waiting. Unless we repent. Now let's look at mercy. Mercy is kind of like you're guilty. You know you deserve it. But somehow the judge lets you off. He, he gives you mercy instead of judgment. Mercy rejoices against judgment, the Bible says. So God, even though he's a God of judgment, he wants to give mercy instead. The Bible says the Lord takes no pleasure in the destruction of the wicked. He's not sitting up there thinking, man, look at those guys stirring up wrath. I can't wait till the day of wrath comes. No, God's heart is broken. He has no pleasure in the destruction of the wicked. And so there's a group of people here that uh, were living in Jonah's day. They were the enemies of Israel. They were terrible people. It would be almost like terrorists might be today. Just destroyed people. And they were the enemies of Israel. And the Lord told Jonah, I want you to go preach to them. And Jonah was like, I'm not going to go preach to them. These are the enemies of my people. I'm not going to go tell them about you. And so Jonah, instead of going to tell them about the Lord, makes a 180 and heads the other direction. And you know the story. Maybe you don't, but I'm not going to take time today to tell you the whole story. But what happened is, the Lord eventually forced him to go there and speak. By, you know, the whale came, ate him, or the, the giant fish, or whatever you want to call it, ate him. He was living in the belly for the three days and three nights, came up on the shore. Eventually, he said, okay, Lord, you twisted my arm, and I'll go, I'll go. But he went there with a bad attitude. And he went into the city, and he began to say to the Ninevites, he went to say to them, Hey, God's going to bring judgment upon you. And it's righteous. You deserve it. Every day he's indignant with you. And that's kind of how Jonah was. But what happened is when the people heard that, does anyone know what happened? They repented. From the king all the way down to the, the least person in that, that kingdom and you know what the Lord was doing? He was rejoicing on his throne because he had no pleasure in the destruction of the wicked. He would rather show mercy than judgment. He didn't excuse their sin, but he called them to repent. And so in Jonah 4, verse 1, after all this happened, I mean, wouldn't it be amazing to you if you walked into a city and just began to walk up and down the streets and say, hey, I just want you to know in a short time God's going to bring judgment upon you because of your sin, and everybody in the city repents. 
Wouldn't you think, wow, man, praise God, a revival, but not Jonah. <laughs> Jonah, it says, it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord, and he said, oh, Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew, I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful. See, he knew, he knew that part of God. He, he knew that God was a God of judgment, but he also knew that God was gracious and merciful. He just didn't want to tap into that because he wanted his enemies to experience the judgment side of God, to experience the righteous judgment of the Lord. And so he says, I'm angry now because you saved my enemies. I knew that you are gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, relenting from disaster. That's the mercy of God. That those people did not get what they deserved. They deserved the judgment. Just like all of us did. But the Lord was so blessed when they, when they repented, when they turned and they said, Lord, forgive us. And God was able to give them grace and mercy instead of judgment. So we see... This beautiful scripture, Psalm 116, the Lord is gracious, and he's righteous, and he's merciful. They're all tied together, and it makes this beautiful, perfect balance of God. And we've got to be careful that we don't jump to either extreme, but we understand God in the light of all of these. And I think it'll help us to become people who are gracious and kind to others, people who are grateful for the forgiveness of God in our own life, people who won't question the judgment of God when it comes, because he's righteous in it. In Romans 5, verse 8, it says, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, see, that's the forbearance of God, while we were still sinners, he died for us. See, he didn't wait for us to take a first step toward him. We were still sinners. We were still an enemy of God. And even before we ever turned our heart to him, he made the first step. Christ died for us, it says. Since therefore, we've now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from what? The wrath of God. So we talk about being saved from sin, and we are saved from sin. We're saved from wrath. The blood of Jesus saved you from the wrath of God. Why? Because the wrath of God is right. It's righteous. He's justified in bringing it out upon this world. But the blood of Jesus saves us from the wrath of God. He becomes a shield for us from the wrath of God. That's the mercy of God. It's the grace of God. But it takes, the only way you get behind that shield is repentance, the turning of our heart. Jesus saved you from the wrath of God. How many are glad about that? And we can stand in the morning and we can praise him and worship him and, and through the day and all through the week and think about that. You saved me from the righteous wrath of God. Because I deserved it. Every one of us did. 
Not a person in here would escape the wrath of God apart from what Jesus has done. That's the mercy and the grace of God while his judgment is still right and perfect and holy. So here's a question. How can, how can the Lord, who is truly righteous, like we've talked about, how can he who is perfectly righteous, whose judgment is just, who's right in condemning us, how can that God actually extend mercy and still be righteous? How can he look at a person who deserves this judgment and have mercy toward it and still be just? Is it possible? Sure, it's possible. Let's read about it. In Romans 3, verse 21, it says, Now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, meaning you can never be right with God by keeping the law. It's impossible because no one can keep the law. Anybody here been able to keep the law? Right. So if you're trying to find righteousness by obedience to the law, you'll always fall short. And so he's saying here, there's a righteousness that comes from God that's different or it's apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. It talks about it, but it's not where it comes from. It says here in verse 22, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. See, where does righteousness come? It comes through faith in Jesus. It's not at all based upon my works, anything I do. It's the righteousness that comes through faith in Jesus for, for all who believe. Not for all, but for all who believe. That's why we go and share the good news of Jesus. Because apart from this, people will face the wrath of God. And it's, I'm going to tell you, it's going to freak people out. That's all I can say. It's, it's going to freak people out. When the, when the Lord comes back and says he, de, he will destroy them with the sword of his mouth, all those who have not obeyed the gospel of the Lord. And it's going to freak us out because for many of us, it'll be so unlike the God that we think he is. He is righteous in every way. But it's only through faith in Jesus that we can escape the wrath. There's no other way. He says there is no distinction for all have sinned. He, I mean, he, basically the Lord is putting the whole world under this idea, you're a sinner. You deserve the judgment of God. There is no distinction for all have sinned and they fall short of the glory of God. And they are justified by his grace as a gift. See, the justification that comes is a gift. How many love getting gifts? You can't wait till your birthday, Christmas morning, you can't sleep. I got to get a gift. God, God says this is a gift. It's a gift. The God who is righteous in his judgment says, I want to give you a gift. It's a gift of righteousness. So that my wrath will not come. It's a gift of grace. It's a gift of my mercy because God has no pleasure in the destruction of the wicked. He says, you are justified by his grace as a gift 
through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus, whom God has put forward as a propitiation. What's that? A propitiation just means this is what satisfies the wrath of God. See, see God, the reason why he's able to forgive and still remain just is because he took our sin upon himself. He didn't sweep it under the carpet. No, every sin, was, every sin has been judged. Every sin has received the judgment of God. It just, he put it upon his son instead of you. And so God is not into covering up, hiding, pushing things out of the way, all go free. No, he's righteous and every sin must be atoned for. But if we have to do it on our own, then we stand under his wrath. And so a gift that he gave us was his own son to be this propitiation, a propitiation by his blood. See, the life of the flesh is in the blood. He gave his life, he gave his life because the wages of sin is death. He gave his life so we could live. And it's to be received by faith, it says. This was to show God's righteousness. Because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. You know, all through history, all through history, God passed over sin. They're, they're there, but it, it was all waiting and pointing to Jesus coming. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier. The one of the one who has faith in Jesus. He's both just and the justifier. That's how it's possible for God to remain just or to be righteous, to be perfect in that sense, and still justify us. It's because he's not sweeping our sin under the carpet. He's saying, I'm taking it upon myself through Jesus. He became just and the justifier. God is just. He, no, no sin is left unatoned for. He's just. He's perfectly just. I don't know, man. It's, Jesus is the one one day who will judge us. You know that? The Bible tells us how the Father has committed all judgment to the Son. When we talk about standing before the judgment seat of Christ or the great white throne of judgment, Jesus is the one who will be there executing judgment. But who greater? Who greater to execute the judgment upon mankind than the one who took upon himself the sin of the entire world? He's just and the justifier. And on that day when he brings the judgment upon this world, we'll all have to stand there and say, just and true, righteous are you in your judgments, O Lord. And he will remain just forever. There's never a hint of imperfection in his justice or righteousness or holiness. But at the same time, he's able to extend mercy and forgiveness to anybody who will come and repent because he takes upon himself the sin of the world, shielding us from the wrath of God. 
So, I'd like you to stand with me as we close. If Jesus was simply just, simply righteous, righteous God, he would demand punishment for all the sins of the world. None of us would escape that. If he was only just. What if he was only the justifier? What if he said, oh, hey, Kirk, I'm just going to turn the other way. You're a nice guy. Let it go. A little white thing. It's a white lie. Those aren't so bad. See, if he was just the justifier, just the one who forgave, in a, in a sense, his justice is for, for forfeited. It's, it's, it's just like given up. Justice doesn't remain in that kind of a mentality. But Jesus made, it's kind of a both and. He's both just and justifier. I love that about God. I love that we can come to him in repentance and find forgiveness for any sin. The Bible says there's only one sin that's unforgivable, and that is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And hopefully you're not one of those who thinks you've done that, because a lot of people do. If you're here today seeking the Lord, you're not that person. But I love that, I love that God is perfect and righteous and holy, and I love that the fear of God can be in our hearts because of that, that move us toward Pursuing holiness before the Lord. And I love that God's mercy is available to any person. But, there, but you can't forget the one requirement to receive the mercy of God. You know what it is? Repentance. His kindness leads us to repentance. So, I'd like you to think about today... If you've ever, maybe you are today, taking advantage of the grace of God, taking advantage of the mercy of God by just kind of blowing off, ah, you know, I just do, I do this, I do that, whatever. God's grace will cover me. Well, he doesn't want us to have a flippant heart like that. And maybe like David, you need to come to a place like Psalm 51 where it says, Lord, against you have I sinned. You're right in your judgment toward me. Giving me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within me. Change me, Lord. Because I want your mercy. And I want, I want to receive your grace, but I know it, it, it calls me to repent. And if you're a person who walks on eggshells because you think God is out to get you for every little thing, maybe what you need to do is understand the grace of God. Get into the Word some more and find more of that side of the Lord. It's there. It's throughout the Scripture. But they're both held in perfect balance. And I pray, Lord, I pray for this congregation, for all of us who have learned about you in various ways over the years. We have in our own minds and hearts ideas of what you're like, but I'm so glad that you've shown us in your Word who you are, how you deal with mankind. I pray that we can see you in your perfect balance, Lord, as love, as light, as good, as gracious, as righteous, 
as merciful. We would never take advantage of your kindness, Lord. But as you draw us to repentance, there would be a a move of our heart that says, hey, I want to be right with the Lord. I want to be right before you. I'd also like to take a moment this morning, if maybe you're here today and you've never really surrendered your heart to Jesus, maybe today you're thinking, man, I want to get right with God. I want to be right with the Lord. All it takes is to recognize that Jesus died for you. There's nothing you can do. There's nothing you can do to get right with God other than repent and believe that Jesus died in your place and begin to live for him. The repentance is not just a prayer. It is a change in the direction of your life. It is to say, I want to live for you, Lord. So if you're here today and you want to do that, pray, pray that prayer. Say, Lord Jesus, today I recognize my sin. I recognize that you're just in the judgment upon me. And I know you reach out to me with kindness, but it's to call me to repent. So today I turn. I turn my heart to you. I ask for forgiveness. I ask you to come and live inside of me, Lord, and help me live for you from this day forward. Pray that prayer and trust that Jesus will hear you and respond to you because he desires that relationship with you. He has no pleasure in the destruction of the wicked. Thank you, Lord. I pray for all this in Jesus' name. Amen.